Hey folks, welcome to the Dark Horse Podcast live stream number 74 and now for something completely and entirely different. Yes, indeed. We're going to go uh, we're going to go full money python we this time. We are going electric. What? We're going electric. I don't like know when what that Bob means. Dylan went electric. Oh. It caused quite quite a stir. Did it? Yes. Okay. I uh, we weren't alive. It was a it was a betrayal of everything that he stood for. And this is a betrayal in exactly Maybe we were the alive. Same was this way. when was this? Boy, I think it was uh, just before Oh, boy, I shouldn't have introduced a topic like that know. without having looked it up, but yeah. it was a thing. Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Um, so here we are, um, episode 74, and we are indeed going to do something entirely different this time. We are going to start uh, doing ads. And in um, support of that, we are going to spend the entire episode after, near the top of the hour here, um, speaking ads for two products that we actually legitimately vouch for explaining what our position is on advertising, why it is given what our position is on advertising that we are now willing to do ads. And then we are going to present to you eight ads of our own for which we are in no way being paid. And in some of those cases, it will be totally clear because the ads are not actually it's pro bono work. It's pro bono pure work. And simple. Pro bono pure work. And simple. Mm -hmm. So we are going to, um, uh, just in a, a couple seconds here, uh, do a couple of ads for products that uh, we are now uh, being paid to advertise. Um, but first, one just one announcement at the top of the hour. And one first. correction. We'll go with your announcement and okay. then my correction. Um, we, for um, for our Patreons, uh, so we're working um, on a replacement for Super Chat um, such that uh, we are not as beholden to YouTube and so that YouTube doesn't take the um, 35 to 40% of the revenue that we generate um, with uh, with any of the revenue that we generate with them. Um, so we tried out uh, a, a test of the system several weeks ago, and it didn't end up working, but we went ahead and did the half hour uh, just live stream anyway, and we called it Wrong Answers to Bad Questions, and it was actually a ton of fun. Um, so we're going to do another one of those uh, for our patrons only. Uh, I think it's going to be this Monday at 5 p.m., and uh, I haven't posted it on the Patreons yet. We will do that, um, and then once... if once you are a member of our Patreon at $5 level or above, you'll be able to access that. And you will be able to ask, um, no, no, we'll do it with the chat, right? And then I don't know if we're going to do wrong answers to bad questions again, or maybe we should do wrong answers to good questions or good answers to bad questions. Um, we should we should talk about, you got any other ideas? Achieving greatness for fun and profit. No. No. All right. That can't be it. Wrong. Uh, we'll come up with something. <laughs> um, yes. Okay. What's your correction? Uh, my correct. So... We have uh, made a policy of doing corrections on the show when we get something wrong. It's painful, but it's great to get on the other side of these things. Last week, I was proposing a solution to the ever given stuck in the Suez Canal, and I suggested a ship full of dried fruit and cabbage to come in the canal behind the ship and dislodge it. Mm -hmm. Kind of push it along. Right. Mm -hmm. Nope. I should have said prune juice and bran muffins it would have been way funnier it, i at least would have gotten you would have gotten the joke, the joke immediately and i think there mm -hmm. would have been a whole lot more hilarity so i just That's want to say correction. no it's a correction um it is okay. important to get these things right we take them seriously and i speak for myself i will do better all right thank god yes <laughs> right <laughs> uh, well if that's all it took
Uh, well, I mean, it was not an easy week for me. Oh, you know, yeah. No, getting, I, I didn't know. After realizing almost immediately that I had said something uh, suboptimal mm. as far as punchline goes and then having to live with it through this moment. I feel better now. But, sure you do. Um, so, right. I okay. Think, I think we all do. I can imagine that. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So um, I think we should, we're going to do these two ads. So this is obviously very new to us. Um, and then we will then launch we'll into talk our- talk about how we feel about ads. And then we'll talk about how we feel about ads. And then we will um, do our pro bono ad work right. uh, for eight products that uh, you won't see coming. <laughs> right. Um all top right. of the top of the um, top of the list of uh, ads. Zach, do you want to? Uh, here we go. Um, that little bracket, if you're watching on YouTube, shows you that we are now in advertising space. That's right. Okay, so let's talk VPNs. VPNs. Yes, what is VPN? VPN is a virtual private network, and it is something you definitely need. Why do you need it? You need it because we're living in an era in which we have tremendous security problems and in which there's all kinds of forces trying to limit what content you can view where that you might want to sidestep. So a virtual private network allows you to do both these things. It uh, allows you to surf anonymously, even from the perspective of your ISP, who frankly, in a private window on your browser can still see where you're going. And in fact, in the US, your ISP is legally allowed to sell uh, what it sees of your searches to advertisers or to, uh, to rather to advertisers potentially, but to anyone it wants. Yes, and so you want to shield your activity from your ISP no matter what. It's good practice whether or not you're surfing anything that they would give a damn about or or not. You Mm -hmm. just simply should shield yourself. And so um, we are uh, endorsing ExpressVPN. So you need a VPN, and then the question is, well, there are many of them available to you. Which one should you want? And I must say I've been on this VPN thing for a long time, and things have gotten a great deal better. At first, it bogged your connection down so mm-hmm. much that it was a huge trade-off. But now – And you were just constantly aware that you were interfacing the internet through – via an, a VPN. There was there, – it was it was anything but invisible to you, the user. Right. That's and now, different now, at least with ExpressVPN. With ExpressVPN, mm-hmm. it's quite different. The interface is – thoroughly professional, mm-hmm. has lots of choices. They can uh, present your connection from something like 160 different locations in 94 different countries, um, which is quite a spectacular diversity. It can be used if you were traveling to China, for example. You can use it to evade the Chinese controls on mm-hmm. what you can observe on the internet. Um, and and because it's... Um it is not just useful for avoiding, um, say, people fishing for your information while you're out in the world. It's really valuable at home as well because your ISP is just – your internet service provider is just as able uh, to find and just as willing to find and source and sell your information when you're at home as when you're out in the world. So, Absolutely. Um, it's it's a valuable product to be using at home as well. So you can use it at home. It works on virtually any device you can think of. It certainly works on Android phones, iOS phones and tablets. Uh, It works on most smart TVs, which is uh, really cool. Mm -hmm. It'll work on a computer, whether it's Windows or Mac or Linux. doesn't matter. It can work on any of these things. And it's incredibly seamless. And the delay, if there is any, is barely detectable, which is really the most important thing Mm -hmm. with one of these. You don't want it to bog down. Uh, your streaming, for example. So, and anyway, it's also super easy to set up. 
incredibly easy to mm-hmm. set up, and it's very seamless. It just sort of lives in it. Well, at least on Mac, it lives in a bar at the top of the screen. You can turn it on and off at will. You can switch what country you appear to be in. Um, so all these things are important. Here's one example of something you might want to do. Uh, I'm not saying you want to do this, but the BBC limits, which you can see with BBC One Player, right? They put out content that you can't view from elsewhere in the world. But if, from the perspective of the net, you appear to be in Britain, you mm-hmm. can watch things. Now, I'm not saying you should do this because, of course, you have to be aware that Britain is part of the Five Eyes network. And so nothing stops them from abducting you and waterboarding you at a black site for having watched the BBC without permission. But were you willing to take that risk, this mechanism would allow you to do it. Wow. <laughs> so um, we are... Um, encouraging you to protect your online activity today with this VPN, uh, which has been rated number one by both CNET and Wired. Uh, So you can visit our link, uh, which will allow you some discounts at expressvpn.com slash darkhorse uh, to receive an extra three months free on a year's subscription. That's express, E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash darkhorse. where you can learn more about ExpressVPN and also get that three months off offer. All right. Perfect. Now, if something is supposed to happen on the screen there. No, not, no, no, not because yet. Because now... Because now we're going to do our other, mm-hmm. our other ad. All right. Um, okay, so our other ad is for a product I didn't bring into the room. Oh, no, it's not here? It's in the other room. Um, so, <clears throat> uh, we don't... We, didn't need to have so it. So you are going to have to use your imaginations here. Now, those of you who are used to listening to us on audio only are used to imagining up the visuals. But in this case, imagine that we had a small bottle. Well, I mean, to be fair, we didn't show ExpressVPN either, did we? Well, that depends rather on whether or not they're already using it to watch us, oh, where it exists yeah. as sort of an invisible filter. Okay. Um, so since we are just... Uh, clearly quite new to all of this. Um, And I cannot find my notes for this. The lack of professionalism lends to the sense of authenticity. It does. It does. Okay. Um, So we are also uh, encouraging uh, the use of a product called Omax CryoFreeze. Uh, And it is basically a a stick that you roll on uh, that helps with pain. But before we talk about it and our experience with it in particular, we wanted to say a few words about pain itself. Pain is useful. Pain is an indicator uh, that something has gone wrong, that you've stretched something too far, that you've ripped something, uh, that something is out of whack, something is amiss. amiss. Um, Sometimes pain becomes chronic, at which point that pain signal is far less useful, right? Uh, And in some cases also, even if the pain is acute, uh, if the pain is so bad that you really can't think straight with it, so long as you take it easy and don't try to push through now that you don't experience pain as the result of using a product, uh, what you wouldn't have been able to do otherwise, pain relief can be a very useful way. Uh, You know, one of these modern tools that we had far less access to uh, in in anything but modern times. So I would just add to that. That uh, pain is an adaptation, that it's a signal that you're either vulnerable or damaged and need to be extra wary uh, to protect yourself. Um, And modifying pain by anesthetizing, which is an ancient tradition, um, is effectively human beings doing what human beings do. We hack our own systems for um, improved effectiveness. So you shouldn't neutralize every old pain that you have. Some Some of it is important in order to... 
um, guide your protection of something potentially damaged sure. so it can heal. But when you've got pain that you already know you've got an issue and uh, you're just sick of dealing with the pain, there is something to do. That's right. So uh, you wanted to talk a little bit yeah. about our experience with Omax Cryofreeze. So uh, people send us stuff that they want us to advertise. Mm -hmm. And we got this product to test out and see. And I must admit, I was a bit skeptical of it. Um, we went skiing and uh, I had a kind of a stiff neck after I do a fair amount of backward skiing, which involves a whole lot of craning your neck around in order not to run into things. And, and I've never seen you run into anything I while backwards skiing. I have never run into... You, yeah. I have run into precious few things, forward or backward. But nonetheless, my neck hurt from this thing. And I thought, well, what's it going to hurt? So uh, the uh, Omex CryoFreeze has CBD in it. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, so I rubbed it on my neck and I was, um, immediately impressed that it gives you kind of a cool feeling and well, it's got it menthol. smells nice. Right. Yep. Mm -hmm. So, uh, sort of, uh, immediately calls your attention to it, but I wasn't really expecting very much. And then lo and behold, the pain went away and twice more. So I thought that could be anecdote. It could be pain goes away of its own accord. Sure. And two more times I had pain and I thought, okay, I'll try it out. Um, and so, you know, there's a lot to be said about what it is that pain and one's subjective perception of it is, but I can say three for three in mm -hmm. the case of this particular product, it seemed to go away. I also had uh, a good experience with it and a friend of ours, again, this is, this is all anecdote, but a friend of ours who suffers from chronic pain, uh, from a number of, uh, debilitating injuries in the past, um, has had terrific success, um, alleviating some of that chronic pain. And I will say, finally, I was a little concerned because I have tried CBD for mm -hmm. pain before. I've tried uh, CBD tea, and it triggers my allergy to marijuana. Um, it causes my lungs to fill with goo, and so I wondered whether or not this would too, and it definitely did not. So um, you know, all I can say is that every experience with it was positive. It did seem to have a good effect, and it didn't trigger the one thing that I feared might be negative. Yeah. So, um, Omax Health, which is the company that creates uh, Omax CryoFreeze, is offering um, our listeners 20% off a full bottle of CryoFreeze CBD pain relief roll-on, which is the product that we have used successfully. And this discount is also applying to any product on their site. Actually, 20% off the entire site. Go to omaxhealth.com and enter the code, once again, DARKHORSE. So that's O-M-A-X-Health.com. The code Dark Horse to get 20% off both CryoFreeze, which we recommend, and any of their products site-wide. Awesome. And let us know what you think. Yeah. All right. We are out of paid advertising space. We are out of paid advertising space, but this entire episode we are going to spend talking about advertising and then doing, um, like I said, pro like bono. I said eight, eight pro bono ads um, at the end, which I think we're going to have some fun with. All right. All right. Um, Okay, you want to start us out? Yes. Riffing on advertising? So let us just say we have resisted participating in advertising for quite some time. We've been approached numerous times about the possibility. And we have felt, and uh, I will speak for myself, I still feel that advertising is part of the problem, maybe a substantial part of the problem. In fact, I would even say uh, it is something like the root of all evil, that there is something about human beings in modern times where from the moment we wake up in the morning till we go to bed at night, we are constantly being bombarded 
by advertisements. And while obviously there is something about advertisements that could be uh, informative, in general, if you watch advertisements and you say, well, what percentage of what's actually going on here is telling me something I don't know? And what percentage is manipulating me into feeling some way that may have nothing to do with the product or may in fact be paradoxical, right? It happens that I may feel some way about a shampoo based on the fact that they've shown a, an attractive model who is ostensibly using this shampoo and having the right effect on the crowd that the person walks into. I don't know what it is. But the point is, at some level, the rational response to advertising when it is not informative should probably be to punish the advertiser, mm -hmm. right? Because in some sense, if you take two bottles of shampoo, like let's say you were at the you know at the at the market and you looked at two bottles of shampoo and um they appeared to be equivalent but one of them you had seen an advertisement for and the other one uh you had not um at the same price well you would say well what fraction of the budget for this shampoo went into advertising rather than higher quality ingredients or research or whatever else might improve the product well there was in fact a line of products for a while i haven't seen it in stores for a while or maybe it's just not in the stores that i go to called ad free right um that specifically was effectively created on the basis that what you see is what you get and um, there's obviously always hidden costs in the form of R&D and packaging, and you, you don't know what salaries. Um, but there's no, you're not paying for them to have communicated to other people who aren't you about how great their product is. Yes. Um, now, the funny thing is, because we are the monkeys that we are, um, the idea of an entire ad-free zone of the market does not take off like wildfire because the fact is we are manipulable and very frequently mm -hmm. we're most manipulated when we don't <clears throat> even think we're the target of an advertisement. So, oh, go ahead. Well, um, you know, this might be the right moment to talk about how advertising is hardly new to humans, right? Um, mm -hmm. That we, you know, that there are many kinds of ways that organisms advertise to one another and we should talk a little bit about some of those. And in fact, we probably should have pulled up some pictures, but um, I actually think it might be worth just talking briefly about a framing, <clears throat> a, a new kind of framing that I believe I believe you proposed. So whereas Darwin first said, okay, we got natural selection and we've got sexual selection, uh, where in natural, you know, you know, very broad brush, natural selection is about um, survival and sexual selection is about reproduction. Um, you have proposed perception-mediated selection, um, which is that selection, um, which can, which is about communication between two entities, individuals of some sort, doesn't have to be the same species, in which the perception of the individual receiving the communicated signal um, is, is deci decides what happens next. And the perception may not actually be reflective of reality, but if the perception is such a thing, then that's going to change behavior and that's what needs to happen. Right. So um, I didn't know that we were headed here, but yeah. um, the, uh, the, the point, the reason to declare a different category than the original Darwinian one mm -hmm. is that actually there's a lot of sexual selection that isn't perception mediated and behaves much more like natural selection. Yes. And then there's a lot of stuff over in natural selection space that is perception mediated where you get the same kinds of stuff you see in sexual selection. And so really my point is... So advertising that, is all in perception mediated selection space. Right. Mm -hmm. it, because it is inherently perception mediated, that is to say whether you have succeeded or failed is based on the perception of 
of some other individual, right? Are you hiding from them? Are you augmenting some characteristic? Whether or not it works is dependent on their perception. But the point is, when perception is the mechanism through which selection is acting, deception is a huge fraction of the game right? Mm -hmm. So sexual selection looks weird because so much of it is perception mediated and therefore deception is all over the place. Well, um, so deception isn't inherent to perception mediated selection, however, right? Perception opens the door to deception. Perception opens the door to deception, right? So um, you obviously can have um, honest indicators of quality um, with things like the, you know, the song of a bird or the plumage of a bird uh, over in, you know, traditional sexual selection space or honest indicators of, say, toxicity with regard to, say, the clades of frogs that I have worked on, the dart poison frogs in the neotropics or the mantellas in Madagascar, which are honestly indicating with their bright coloration um, that they also have these toxins on board, these lipophilic alkaloids. And however, you also end up with mimics of the honestly advertising species that may basically be able to um, signal toxicity, say, without actually bringing along the cost of having to build the toxins. So my point would be that the reason that sexual selection space looks weird is this arms race, Mm -hmm. right? So females in general try to force males into displays that can't be faked, Right. right? And so Uh, In some sense, the reason that so many male displays are so expensive is that there is no way to build them out of some material that's close to free and Mm -hmm. get away with it because they wouldn't function. So um, in any case, we can talk more about that another time. But let's just say that in our uh, cautious embrace of the advertising modality, we are aiming not to manipulate but to engage in advertising that informs you about something that you probably do want to know and at least think about whether or not the the object in question is something uh, that you'd be better off um, with. And uh, certainly deception has no place. So that, this is a small fraction of the available landscape of things that might be advertised mm-hmm. that is actually available to us. Yes, and indeed, um, we were we were approached about a number of products that we rejected, um, and in some cases, I think the products are good products given what they do, um, but we disagree with the premise of their of of them being out there in the world in the way they are, or uh, what their claims are, or something. And you know, we're not we're not here to dismiss those products publicly, but just to say that what we will end up. Yep. vouching for here are things that we actually do um, are, are doing without qualms. Right. Mm-hmm. And so in some sense, the other way I think of viewing this is that the reason that I uh, joked about advertising being the root of all evil is that it becomes the driving force any place that it is the mechanism through which things are paid for. Um, so you, as the viewer, become the product. You know, you are delivered to advertisers and you get something ostensibly for free, but really it's not free because the advertisers wouldn't be paying for it if they didn't get access to your mind in a way that they could uh, affect it. You wanted to say something? Uh, well, at some point here, I have a, a, a bit to talk about specifically with regard to people becoming the products when they are unwittingly so, when they don't know. All right. Well, we'll come back. Um, so I'll just say... Um, We, in doing this, we will have to not do this to the extent that there's anything pulling us in the direction of making you and the audience into the product. Um, So in order for you not to be the product, we 
have to be effectively doing double duty, which is to say, uh, telling you things that we think are your in your interest to to know about. All right. Do you want to? Uh... Yeah. Um, so um, we talked about how advertising is ancient, and it opens the door to deception without being inherently deceptive. It could just be communication of state of quality, um, but uh, it's certainly you know that ancient and sometimes honorable history uh, has experienced. Um, quite an acceleration of the dishonesty in modern times. So I want to just tell a, a brief story and then read a tiny bit from an article written by Gloria Steinem in 1990, actually. Uh, in college, I was proud to be a founding subscriber to the ad-free version of Ms. Magazine. Ms. Magazine was formed in the early 70s, founded in part by Gloria Steinem, um, as um, a kind of a feminist magazine um, that was about things that would pertain to, uh, things that would be of interest to women, that was not, however, a women's magazine. Women's magazines tending to pander to uh, stereotypes like um, you either belong in the kitchen and therefore, and you know, only with your children, and therefore we're going to <clears throat> talk about things like cooking and childcare only, or um, to other kinds of stereotypes. All you want to do is get a man, and so we are going to um, pander to. And um, I have and never felt that way. You haven't, but no. you yes. Um, <laughs> you walked out, walked back <laughs> in, and said that. Um, pander to uh, that part of of womanhood. And so lots of articles on beauty and hotness and sexiness and fashion and, and makeup and all. And Ms. Was, was not about that. So um, what had happened, though, over the course of two-ish decades um, was that it had a very, very hard time attracting advertisers who um, did not dictate content. And so... Um, Indeed, I actually I did a I did a big research project on this in college a couple of years um, after this essay that Steinem wrote um, came out, researching exactly how advertisers drive editorial content, specifically at magazines um, directed at teen girls. Since I had at that point been a teen girl recently and had been an occasional reader of the magazine Seventeen, and was you know even then as a, like a thirteen year old because that's really the target audience <laughs> of Seventeen, um, you know just a, appalled. And pretty disgusted, and you know, I spent less time with that magazine than than a lot of people of my generation. But I still, I I spent some time with it, and I was still affected. And um, I didn't know then, but was not surprised to find out later how much power the advertisers actually had on driving the actual so-called content, the editorial content of the magazine. So here's just a couple of examples. Um, from and these examples happen to be from the Steinem article, um, but there are plenty more out there. Um, during and this is not for girl, this is not for teen girls magazines, but actually at Ms. Magazine, um, Dow's cleaning products um, need, were needed to be adjacent to children or fashion editorial. Maidenform, which is a maker of bras and other apparel, required that quote no negative content be adjacent to the ads, including anything, quote, relating to illness, disillusionment, or large-size fashion. Okay. Um, De Beers Diamond Company prohibited magazines from placing its ads next to, quote, hard news or anti-love or romance-themed editorial. Okay. So this is totally invisible 
to most readers of magazines, right? And it turns out that for historical reasons that I won't go into here, women's magazines and then girls' magazines really were targeted by advertisers more so than any of the other magazines um, because they were understood to be basically catalogs for women rather than places where women could learn about how to be in the world. So, um, so one more thing from you know what what we know simply from Ms. Magazine, which um, should have been more immune to this than anything else. Um, here's an anecdote uh, that she that that um, that Steinem reports after years of trying to get advertisers even to play ball with her. So she not only were advertisers coming in the door and demanding what's called complimentary content, content that actually um, put their products into it or said nice things about their products in the so-called editorial content, or at least didn't put things they disagreed with on the same pages or sometimes in the same issue. Um, but she couldn't even get some advertisers to come in the door. And here's one story. Out of chutzpah and desperation, I arrange a lunch with Leonard Lauder, president of Estee Lauder. With the exception of Clinique, which is the brainchild of Carol Phillips, none of Lauder's hundreds of products has been advertised in Ms. A year's schedule of ads for just three or four of them could save us. Indeed, as the sign of a family-owned company whose ad practices are followed by the beauty industry, he is one of the few men who could liberate many pages in all women's magazines just by changing his mind about complimentary copy. Again, complimentary copy is this, this uh, euphemism for you have, to, you have to change the actual content of your magazine if we are going to put ads in your magazine. Over a lunch that costs, costs more than we can pay for some articles, I, Steinem, explain the need for the, his leadership. I also lay out the record of Ms. More literary and journalistic prizes won, more new issues introduced into the mainstream, new writers discovered an impact on society than any other magazine, more articles that became books, stories that became movies, ideas that became television series, and newly advertised products that became profitable, and most important for him, a place for his ads to reach women who aren't reachable through any other women's magazine. Indeed, if there is one constant characteristic of the ever-changing Ms. readership, it is their impact as leaders. Whether it's waiting until later to have first babies or pioneering PABA as sun protection and cosmetics, whatever they are doing today, a third to a half of American women will be doing three to five years from now. It's never failed. But, he says, Ms. readers are not our women. They're not interested in things like fragrance and blush. If they were, Ms. would write articles about them. On the contrary, I explain, surveys show they are more likely to buy such things than the readers of, say, Cosmopolitan or Vogue. They're good customers because they're out in the world enough to need several sets of everything, home, work, purse, travel, gym, and so on. They just don't need to write articles about these things. No, they just don't need to read articles about these things. Would he ask a men's magazine to publish monthly columns on how to shave before he advertised Aramis products, his line for men? He concedes that beauty features are often concocted more for advertisers than readers. But Ms. isn't appropriate for his ads anyway, he explains. Why? Because Estee Lauder, he says, is selling a kept woman mentality. I can't quite believe this. 60% of the users of his products are salaried and generally resemble Ms. readers. Besides, his company has the appeal of having been started by a creative and hardworking woman, his mother, Estee Lauder. That doesn't matter, he says. He knows his customers, and they would like to be kept women. That's why he will never advertise on Ms. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> right. So um, that's some of what's going on behind the scenes with advertisers. Well, can I uh, can I riff from there for a second? Please. Okay. Yeah. So this raises really the next issue that I was hoping to talk about, which is uh, I have alleged, and I'm trying to remember where, maybe it doesn't matter, maybe it was even here on Dark Horse, 
that part of what is going on with the derangement of the West, and I really mm. think, you know, it's a psychosis of sorts that we are watching, where the loss of the ability um, to track arguments and to extrapolate reasonably and all of that is actually being driven by the fact that so much of the landscape through which we are interacting is advertising driven. And my point is that that probably means that we are getting content that looks very different than we would otherwise be getting, mm. not because human beings don't want the higher quality nuanced content, but because advertisers do not want us in general in our conscious mind. They want us in our subconscious mind where we mm -hmm. can't necessarily track that we're being manipulated and persuaded of things that may not be factual, right? So the idea is factual content that caused you to have to think might be very desirable from the point of view of the consumer of the channel, but it would not be desirable from the point of view of an advertiser that really wants you in something, you know, just above a, a sleep level of, of awareness. And so... Uh, in our case, I think the answer is we don't want any ad for which the advertiser isn't looking to have you in your conscious mind evaluating these claims and mm. whether or not it adds up to you at a conscious level. That's the desire is only that fraction of advertising that is not looking to catch you off guard. That's really good, in, in, including when the point of the product is actually both of the ones that we advertised here today, is to background some complexity so that you can get on with your life, mm. right? Um, oh, that's good. I hadn't right? even realized that connection between them. Yeah. Uh, so um, you do not want to be conscious of everything going on in your life at all times. That gets... Um, you know, deeply painful and becomes unproductive very quickly. Um, but you want to be able to call to consciousness anything that you are being exposed to, any decisions you are making before deciding, actually, I want to set and forget. I do want to have brand loyalty over in this space because I just don't care about laundry detergent that much or whatever it is, right? Um, but you need at any moment to be able to say, wait, actually, it's time to reassess. And I, I think um, we will certainly never we will never advertise anything with our words where we are trying to subvert that process. Yeah. Um, and, 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 you know, we will, because we scrutinize all of these things and we have yeah. been approached by many different potential advertisers, we think about them very consciously. So yep. when we bring them to you, it's because they pass that process. So um, I guess maybe we want, before we embark on our eight pro bono ads, mm -hmm. um, to talk a little, I mean, I think you've already done it, but um, given how we clearly feel about advertising and what we, what kinds of harms we know it does in the world, why would we want to have anything to do with it? We're doing... We're doing well right now. Thank you to the many supportive and, and generous viewers and listeners and people on our Patreon. Um, we are at, at the moment doing well, but it is to some degree at the... Uh, um, at the discretion, at the discretion of, of YouTube, YouTube among and others. Patreon and Google and, and YouTube and Google being the same thing. Um, and so diversifying as much as possible where it is that we are, um, how it is that we are generating our our money so that we can continue to speak absolute truth without being, um, without being dependent on the pleasure of someone, you know, at any point that someone whom we are advertising says, actually, it's not working for me, they pull, that's fine. And at any point that we, someone approaches us and says, we want you to advertise for them. And we say, not for us, we just don't go there. So I would also point out, and this is delicate because it is very difficult to prove in any way that would be clear, but we get access to the back channel information 
um, for the Dark Horse YouTube channel, for example, mm -hmm. and it has ceased adding up. The podcast appears to be more popular than ever, which you would expect. News of it would spread, and people seem to very much like it. On the other hand, we see a trend in viewership coming from Google that clearly indicates that in spite of the fact that it's popular with those who see it, that they're showing it to fewer people. And so what does this portend? Would right. they boot us, you know, at the point that they thought it wouldn't cause a stir? I don't know. But um, let us just say it is a vulnerable position. And from the point of view, you know, of our long-term ability to speak the truth irrespective of uh, what comes at us, uh, it, is, it is important that we carefully take this step. Indeed. Um, did you want to say anything about advertising to children or should we save that? Um, yeah, it's probably worth as long as we're okay. spending the topic, the time here. I would just say that, you know, as a measure of how dangerous advertising has become, I have for at least 15 years been making the claim I, that I, I believe there is no defense of advertising to children that it is impossible to come up with a rationale whereby it is acceptable, for example, to have the a company that produces food advertising to children in a way that might change what it is they desire to eat or how much they desire to eat, and that clearly we have an epidemic of ill health based in uh, inability to regulate um, desire for food, both type and amount, amongst children, for which there is no... Um, known cause other than the fact that we have lots of corporations uh, pushing various things in the direction of children. So anyway, I keep asking, can anybody come up with a defense of the right of a company to advertise to a child who is presumably without the defenses that an adult might have? And even adults aren't all that well defended, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so I guess what I would say in closing is that the degree of harm that comes from dysregulating children's interaction with something like food. And the same could be said of a lot of other things, you know, what, what it is they desire and are therefore persuaded to pursue. That advertising to children effectively maims people, mm -hmm. right? It does things that are as harmful to them as, I don't know, child molesting, something like that. And to the extent that the society allows this to continue, and doesn't do anything, even though it is at least very difficult and maybe impossible to come up with a justification that makes any sense, is a measure of how much we have um, uh, fallen into the trap of imagining that advertising is just like a feature of the landscape and not something that we uh, grant access. Very good. All right. Um, should we should we do our pro bono yeah, advertisements? Yeah, why not? Why not? Okay. Um, um, we're going to alternate, right? <clears throat> we, we both have... Oops. Wow. This is not going well oh, so far. Oh, no, it is not. <laughs> it's not going well. Um, for those of you just listening, I just dropped several things off screen. Um, for most of these products, uh, we both have uh, an in and we have a relationship with the product. Um, your relationship with this product is, I think, entirely through my relationship with the product. So um, if you are an avid reader of physical books and you don't know about book darts, you should. If you read books, but it's all online, um, or you don't really care for books that much, and you never find yourself going to your bookshelf and opening books that you've read before, you don't want this product. Um, but if you do have, um, you know, upon moving into a home, insist that the, one of the first things that needs to happen is that we need to install lines and lines of bookshelves, as we did here, um, 
then this this is an amazing, an amazing thing. So book darts are little tiny markers um, that um, made of metal that are better than inking up your book, better than bookmarks, better than post-it flags. They stick, but they aren't permanent. Um, they don't deform the book, no matter how many are in there. Um, so I have this pile, which because Zach has zoomed down on me, you can't see, but I have this pile of books. I just pulled five books off of our shelves that I know that I had read or reread recently enough um, to have book darted. And so this one, which we will probably spend a whole episode talking about at some point, Anatomy of an Epidemic. I don't know if you can see just how many book darts are inside that by the little by the little glimmers, but the book is not deformed by it. And any time that I pick up a book that I've read, I open it to any one of book darts, and I see not just something of value from the book, but something about my state of mind when I was reading it. What caught my eye? And it's sort of it's a it's a it's a kind of memory hack I find, and a way to reinsert myself into into long pieces of text, either fiction or nonfiction, that I've enjoyed before, but might be unlikely to pick up and read from scratch again. So um, I have several of these tins around the house. Uh, Brett can attest to that, and I think you're now so accustomed to the telltale sound of the tin being opened <laughs> that sometime if I'm reading it in bed at night, you'll, you'll hear that and go <laughs> find <laughs> yeah. something to book dart, honey, right? Um, so I just I literally pull, pulled five books that I respect off the shelf and opened them to one of the book darted places. And I'm just going to read you a sentence or two from each of these book darted places, um, which also will reveal five books that I think are terrific. Um, I don't actually have a just uh, I did not decide an order in advance. So we'll start with Anatomy of, Ep of an Epidemic by Robert Whitaker. Extraordinary and terrifying book. Just one line in this. He says, um, with regard to uh, a presenter at an APA audience. I conclude that patients with schizophrenia not on antipsychotic medication for a long period of time have significantly better global functioning than those on antipsychotics. That alone is worth the price of admission to this book when you see that there, there are data to support the idea that antipsychotics are likely doing more harm than good. So that's one. Uh, we have, um, actually I'll do the fiction last. We have... Um, Margaret Mead, Sex and Temperament in Three Primitive Societies. Um, so um, actually, Introduction by Helen Fisher, who we know. Um, the, so this is originally written in 1935. And just from the introduction, one of the things I bookmarked, I book darted, is um, uh, two of these tribes have no idea that men and women are different in temperament. They allow them different economic and religious roles, different skills, different vulnerabilities to evil magic and supernatural influences. The Arapesh believe that painting in color is appropriate only to men, and the Mandugamor consider fishing an essentially feminine task. But any idea that temperamental traits of the order of dominance, bravery, aggressiveness, objectivity, malleability are inalienably associated with one sex as opposed to the other is entirely lacking. This may seem strange to a civilization which is in its which in its sociology, its medicine, its slang, its poetry, and its obscenity accepts the socially defined differences between the sexes as having an innate basis, she goes on. So fascinating little bit of cultural anthropology there from Margaret Mead from the early part of the 20th century. We have um, Alice Drager's excellent book, Galileo's Middle Finger, Heretics, Activists, and the Search for Justice and Science, in which, among many other uh, revelations, and this is published, boy, this is probably going to be 2016, 2015, you gave this to me, probably 2017. 
Um, you, Brett. Um, that didn't, so this is from chapter five, the rot from within. That didn't mean that these scientists or I or anyone else existed without bias. It didn't mean their work wasn't shaped and sometimes tainted by politics, ideologies, and loyalties. But it did mean they tried to adhere to an intellectual agenda that wasn't first and only political. If they believed that good science couldn't be done just by just Ouija boarding your answers, good scholarship had to put the search for truth first and the quest for social justice second. That's Drager a while ago. A while ago. A while ago. I got you that before we met her. Am I right? Yes. 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 Uh, before Evergreen blew up. Yeah. Before. Back in the before time. <laughs> Another kind of before times. Yep. Um, this excellent novel, Mating, uh, by Norman Rush, which was actually, I, I see from the inscription, given to me as a gift by Elizabeth Wright uh, when we were all on um, Barrow, Colorado Island together, when she was writing a book that um, largely starred you, um, Tapir's Morning Bath. Tapir's Morning Bath. Yeah. Um, so she gave me this book thinking I would enjoy it, and it's really extraordinary. And here's a line, here's a slight paragraph from it. With she's The author here is speaking about his protagonist. One thing, one thing wrong with America, according to Danoon, is that the society is converging to suppress unsupervised mass play, largely through the mechanisms of TV and adult-run sports like Little League. His theory was that if you leave young males alone, they will go and play situations from fascism to feudalism to democracy. So now there is a diffuse and a thwarted attraction to fasc fascism excuse me, um, that is getting played out at the adult level. He was fecund with theories. <laughs> <laughs> and one more, just again to point out how, how rich the leaving behind a trail of book darts can be in terms of finding, uh, finding evidence of great thinking in the books on yourself. This is um, from a novel, another excellent novel called The Overstory um, by Powers that just came out a year or two ago, I think. Um, and this about one of the protagonists, again, the clarity of recent weeks, the sudden waking from sleepwalk, his certainty that the world has been stolen and the atmosphere trashed for the shortest of short-term gains, the sense that he must do all he can to fight for the living world's most wondrous creatures, all these abandon Adam, and he's left in the insanity of denying the bedrock of human existence. Property and mastery, nothing else counts. Earth will be monetized until all trees grow in straight lines. Three people own all seven continents, and every large organism is bred to be slaughtered. You did all that with book darts, huh? <laughs> I, I did all that with book darts. Yeah. So that's that's my pitch for book darts. Yeah, you know, it's actually it's kind of marvelous because the fact that they um, do not physically alter the book in a permanent way, but do physically live in the book in a way that it's easier to find than if you've written something. I've never been a fan of this. You know, if you don't write in your books, you're not you're a faker kind of a mentality. For it's one terrible. thing, I would never write in a book because a, I wouldn't be able to read it later, <laughs> right, right? So right. what good would it do me? Right. And B, it just feels like, def, you know, defacing something. And yeah. maybe if one had marvelous penmanship, it would be different. But yeah, and I, so one thing I do when I, when I'm just taking a book out to the world, and if I don't have a bag with me, and so I don't also have a tin of book darts is I line the last page of, page of the book, which is a line of book darts, so that if I do come upon something that I want to remember for later, um, I can pull it off the back page and, and put it where it goes. Totally. And if you do find yourself out and you don't have them, you can go into any 7-Eleven and you can ask the person behind the counter and get a quizzical look for yeah, free. For free. For yeah, free. quizzical looks for free at almost totally. at um, any 7-Eleven near you, I expect. Yes, any 7-Eleven. 
at your local seven or you can drive across the state to a different seven eleven if you just want for variety sure sure um okay that's that's ad number one of eight ad number one you were gonna do this one next, yes which um, you didn't want me to say by name no okay so i wanted to talk to you all about the question of security do you ever look at your home and worry that somebody is going to sneak into your backyard break in and take your stuff and then you think, well, what would the best solution to this be, right? There's obvious dangers to having a firearm. What you really need are dinosaurs, right? A good dinosaur will give a burglar a scare like they wouldn't believe. Oh, man. But what are you going to do? How are you going to get them? Are you going to go online and buy some dinosaurs? You could, but they might fly off. So <laughs> the best thing to do... <laughs> this is awesome. <laughs> It's a little goofy. All right. The best thing to do is to attract wild dinosaurs to your backyard Scary. where you can enjoy them. Terrifying. They are terrifying. Chirping dinosaurs. Yeah, actually, Zach, do you want to show? Uh, I sent you a couple of dinosaur pictures. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, here's one. I took that picture just yesterday of a little That's a hummingbird. Big oh, it's a little one. It's a little one. <laughs> and here is how I attracted it to our backyard in order to scare off would-be burglars. And if I may, you you bought, so for people just listening, you've got a hummingbird at some kind of a glass and metal contraption, which you bought at the thing that you're advertising here, which is Extant Dinosaur Stores. Yeah, at the Extant Dinosaur Store. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, uh, which goes by various names depending on where you are. It's by the way, uh, I got you a little something. <laughs> uh, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking... It's not your birthday, which it isn't. But um, this is from the Extant Dinosaur Store. It is from the Extant. Should I open it on you air? You should open it right wow. now. Wow. Okay. Yeah. The Extant Dinosaur Store so, and Brett have delivered unto me. Um, this is actually, you know, remarkably well wrapped for a dude. I was actually, <laughs> I was going to say that as I grow, well, except it's got a prime box and older and more manly, I get worse and worse at wrapping presents. Yep. Okay. Okay. Um, so I did not see this coming, guys. The Extant Dinosaur. Oh, look at this. Yeah. Okay. The Extant Dinosaur Store does not sell Extant Dinosaurs, but it sells ways to ways attract to... them. There you go. And ways to break in after you've attracted them. Except I can't open it. Oh, it's going to, I don't even it know how this goes. flips up on the side there. Yeah. Oh, like on the that. side side. Yeah. Yeah. See? And there's a look little critter even. That's not an Extant Dinosaur, but something called No, that's an arthropod. Yeah. Looks like. Um, cool. So what kind of Extant Dinosaur is this? Nest box um, likely to attract you know. You know, it's funny when <laughs> You're I covered in yeah, I'm covered in nesting material. <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, thank I, you. I, yeah, you're welcome. Um, I, I feel safer already. <laughs> as well, you should. Yes. Now, can we arm the birds though? Because that it feels to me would solve a couple problems. Um, yes, I, there may be regulations on this that we would want to check on before engaging in any, any army yeah, of yeah, birds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I also got you, uh, I'm some gonna, of that, uh, insect and hot pepper suet you like. Oh, yum. I think I'm, I think I won't eat that on air, but, yeah. uh, but this is, this is fabulous. Even if you're not an extant dinosaur yourself, actually, no, I think really you have to be an extant dinosaur, which is to say an avian dinosaur, a right, bird, a bird. Yes. Yeah. So anyway, the uh, the advertisement here is for your local bird supply shop to attract these animals to your your uh, your yard. And I will say, 
But, but there's something um, important here, which is that the hot pepper is here not because birds love hot pepper, but because mammals don't. Yeah, because and birds can't like birds can't detect it. Yes, in right? fact, the capsaicin. Here's yeah. the beautiful thing about that story: is it yeah. turns out that the capsaicin was loaded into chili peppers because chili peppers are distributed by birds and it is loaded in to trick mammals into thinking that they are doing damage to themselves when they eat the chili peppers so the chili peppers will be left over for birds to eat and therefore distribute the seeds which they do much better than mammals do. Mm -hmm. um, so the awesome. thing is I always think it is a good idea to attract extant dinosaurs whether or yard. not they're keeping you safer but i never think it at the right time of year and this time it's the right time of year at least here in the northern hemisphere it's spring so mm -hmm. the animals are nesting and putting up bird boxes is a good idea and uh so anyway that's why this birthday present is a little early that's awesome thank you yeah more bugs more birds more beautiful <laughs> <laughs> yeah maybe need a little help on the ad copy but that's yeah. okay that's okay insect and hot pepper suet excellent yeah. insect and hot pepper suet all right. Um, are we done with the Extant Dinosaur Stores ad? I, b I believe so. Okay. So pro bono ad two, Extant Dinosaur Stores. Um, pro bono ad three um, is for, did you find a picture of me in the jungle? I sure hands? did. Okay. Hey, Zach, you, you want that now? Um, no, hold on a second, Zach. No, no, we, we could put it up. So the next time you find yourself in the jungle, do yourself a favor and wear eagle boots. Now, is this in fact from our time in the Amazon last? Yep. Okay, so our I'm most recent trip. Um, in fact wearing eagle boots here in the Amazon. The jungle, for those who don't know, is more accurately called, and you could take it off whenever, um, lowland tropical rainforest. Okay, uh, jungles can be found in Honduras and Costa Rica, in Brazil and Ecuador, and Madagascar and Indonesia. Um, and uh, India and Papua New Guinea, lots of places, uh, among many, uh, among many other places. But let's parse the term for a moment. Why, you know, why boots in jungles? Why this particular type of boots in jungles? Well, a jungle being a lowland tropical rainforest uh, is lowland tropical in a rainforest. Lowland refers to elevation, um, so it's close to sea level. Tropical refers to it being within 23 and a half degrees of the tropic of the equator. That's within the tropic lines. And both proximity to the equator and elevation um, are correlated with a high biodiversity. And uh, lowland tropical ecosystems are going to be high biodiversity. Lots of critters that are interested in uh, in getting at you or, uh, or in other ways uh, kind of maybe just impeding your progress. Rainforest um, just refers to the type of precipitation that falls as opposed to cloud forest. In cloud forests, the precipitation tends to hang as water droplets and clouds. Um, it does, of course, rain, but the experience of being in a cloud forest is very much of being in a cloud, and the experience of being in a rainforest is very much of um, being frequently quite wet because you're being rained on. The rain is seasonal, but the seasons are like wet and wetter, uh, and um, that means mud. Okay, So you've got this hot wet, seething mass of biodiversity in the jungle, which again, um, lowland tropical rainforest being the technical term. And um, it's kind of a heaven for some of us. Some of us really are driven to go there. And we were lucky enough to be in the Amazon in January of 2020, just before the entire world locked down. Um, but it is, as I said, deeply and unendingly muddy. And there's also, except in some places like Madagascar, um, tend to be a fair number of poisonous snakes. So to protect yourself from both mud and snakes, you wear 
uh, as close to knee high as you can get rubber boots. Um, the rubber boots uh, mean that you don't get mud into your shoes as you're slogging through and occasionally step into deep mud puddles, which happens a lot. And the thick rubber keeps is protection against a snake bite if you should manage to step on one because they tend to be cryptic and it... Um, it comes at you. I've only had that happen once that I know of, where I actually saw a uh, a Ferdalon strike at my boot, um, and I wasn't wearing eagle boots then, but I was wearing boots that were good enough. It was actually in the Amazon. It was in the Brazilian Amazon. Um, no, actually, that was in Costa Rica. That was in Costa Rica. I stepped on one in the Brazilian Amazon as well, but it uh, it just eyed me, and I got away um, without it striking at me. Um, so when, as you know. When we led our study abroad trip in 2016, and when I led the several that I led before that, um, the one one of the very few actually hard and fast rules that I had was jungle boots at all times, no matter what, when you're in the forest, no exceptions. And a lot of field stations have a lot of rules about keeping people safe, including you can never go into the forest alone, never go into the jungle alone. I actually reject that rule completely. Once once you are, once you know something about what you're doing and have demonstrated proficiency in how to navigate and, um, and deal with things that come up, I actually, I'm not sure I've enforced going solitarily into the jungle, but it was certainly one of the things that I really strongly encouraged because there's nothing like it, being alone in the jungle with just you and, well, your jungle boots and, you know, whatever else you're wearing. Um, but the boots were non-negotiable because of the mud, because of the snakes, and... The fact is that cheap rubber boots are available in towns near jungles every place that we've been. Um, even, I think, even, I think, in Madagascar, where there's almost yeah. nothing available. Um, they tend to be um, lower than might be optimal. You know, if you're dealing with big terrestrial vipers, they can launch themselves um, a little bit higher, and you don't, you don't want to risk that. And they tend to be a little thin. They tend to be flimsy. Most of what they tend to be is really uncomfortable. Yeah, and they give you know, you blisters. They give you blisters. You can get them on and off um, easily um, to you know empty them of water after you've been drenched in another downpour. But um, but they're not comfortable. And if you're actually interested in slogging around the jungle all day, as some of us are, and I encourage everyone who has the opportunity to do so, you want these boots. So um, they're not cheap, but they're amazing. They're Eagle boots. Eagle A I G L E Eagle boots. Right here on the the podcast the desk. podcast. Um, these were first actually introduced to me by a student of ours on that um, on that study abroad trip. She was she was going on about how great they were and they were not cheap. And I thought, how good could they possibly be? They wrap up tight. They feel so comfortable. They're actually impermeable to fangs, uh, and they're fabulous. Yes, they are not cheap, except in comparison to not having them. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. If you're going to spend serious time, um, they're worth having. And they're also uh, great uh, in the garden doing various things that you wouldn't want to do in shoes that will pick up mud. And they will pick up mud on the bottom. Yes, But you don't wear them inside. You no, you, you don't wear them inside. But yeah, actually, I was going to say too, in you know, Pacific Northwest winters in particular, I wear these when I'm out uh, walking or when I'm out um trying once again to DIV the landscape, which is an endless task, but uh, these boots make it better. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. All right. That's ad number three. Um, Eagle boots. Mm-hmm. There you are. Okay. Uh, the fourth one. Yes. Um, so there's a kind of a category that is developing here. 
I think everything of our pro bono ads so far, these are a few of our favorite things, things that you, our audience, should know about in mm -hmm. case you're going to be involved in any of these activities or mm -hmm. might want to be involved in some activity you don't yet know about. And so I'm going to advocate for getting involved in these bad boys here. <laughs> this is a trail camera, and trail cameras exist primarily, I think, for hunters. Hunters put these up in places in order to figure out where the game is and when it's around and when it isn't around. But they are also widely used now by naturalists to figure out um, what the behavior patterns of animals are. And it's also tremendously fun just to figure out whether or not you're studying creatures, to figure out what's available. So I will, yeah. Um, at Tipitini, in the Ecuadorian Amazon, where that picture that you showed of uh, me in the eagle boots was taken, um, there was a long-time camera trap study uh, with uh, run by a man named Diego Mosquera, who at that point was the field manager for the station. Um, and with the with the help of these so-called camera traps, these game cameras, he found that there were, um, I think there was, primatologists already knew that there were 10 species of primates, but it was his camera trap work um, that revealed five different species of cats, of mm. wild cats at Tipitini. And so they're super useful um, as a research tool as well. Totally. And yeah. Yeah, I must say, it is marvelously fun and addictive to deploy these things. A, you learn a lot. You deploy them somewhere you think is going to be good and it isn't, and you sort of, you learn a lot of about the animals just in figuring out where they're going to be, things you couldn't possibly validate without the camera because the animals are really good at avoiding you in many cases. Mm -hmm. And so anyway, these come in different kinds. Um, they come in a regular flash camera version that takes night photos with the flash. I'd recommend against that. And then there are two versions that don't spook the animals. There's a low glow that has a light red glow. Animals do not see red in general. Nocturnal animals don't. Um, and then there's a no-glow, pure infrared one. And anyway, they record on a little SD card whatever they see, and then you come collect the SD card. There's some fancy ones now that if you have cell service where you deploy them, they will email you uh, images of animals that happen by, which can be kind of neat. Um, I have uh, I've deployed a couple cameras in a local uh, wildlife area. So the story is I was down there on my bike, um, and uh, actually somebody recognized me um, and I was talking to them. And as we were talking, looking out over the nature reserve, there was clearly some sort of large bodied mammal, but we didn't know what it was. Mm -hmm. And um, anyway, I narrowed it down. It had to be one of a number of things. It, it had to be either otter or beaver or um, could be nutria. Mink? Um, well, I was already interested. I knew there were minks in this nature area, and I was interested to figure out where they were. Do they swim much? Uh, minks? Yeah. Uh, minks are always found on the shore yeah. of water. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure they can swim, but I don't know that they do swim all yeah. that much. But they are closely associated with water. So, so otter, beaver, or nutria were the three most likely suspects. Were the three yeah. most likely suspects. Mm -hmm. and that, so I went down there and started poking around a little bit. Uh, that picture of the bald eagle in flight that I showed last time was me standing there trying to get a bead on these mammals, and the bald eagle flew over. Um and anyway, I did see the animals a second time, but I couldn't figure out what they were. They were too far off. And so I set up a- Two, multiple. Uh, uh, two animals, yeah. Mm -hmm. Large, bodied, dark, low. So anyway, I deployed a game camera. And uh, Zach, do you want to show what I came up with after about two weeks of- um, um, Well, why don't you show all of it?
Okay, so here's the first thing. That is a beaver. Can you step through the images? So that is a beaver emerging from the water, being filmed with infrared. There you can see its eye shining back at the camera. Here's the second beaver coming out of the water. It's going to go upslope here. Um, all right, so beaver. That's really exciting. Beaver is a rodent, um, and it's uh, one of my favorite rodents, such an interesting creature. They can be very shy. Here's the <laughs> second creature that the camera picked up. Now, I think this is a muskrat and not a nutria. It could be a nutria, though. My, my sense it of it being a muskrat. It looks squatter than nutria. Yeah, it's a little smaller, but nutria yeah. and, and muskrat. So watch this. It's going to take off into the water here. Zoom. Yeah, once it's in the goes. water, it's almost indistinguishable, really. Yep. Yeah. All right. Nice. Um, keep going, Zach. Here's during the day. Oh, look, it's a pair of river otters. Mm. So this is a nature area that is on a tributary of the Willamette River, which runs right through Portland. And so these are two river otters that uh, presumably enter the water here and then swim right out into the Willamette and hunt fish and maybe... And shake their little otter fists at the boaters. <laughs> Probably they do. Mm -hmm. uh, you can see it's raining as they're descending into the water. That's what I think we saw looking out at the... Uh, I'm pretty sure it was going to be otters that were glumping along when I couldn't identify what when it was. When you were talking with the guy on yeah, the shore. Yeah, for one thing, it was during the day and the otters here, it's not... I mean, not, and the beavers here are um, at least partially nocturnal, probably entirely nocturnal. And now this last one's going to be a little bit difficult to make out, but... Um, it's not a crocodile, is it? No. For those of you who are photographers, rule of thirds in the vertex of thirds in the lower left-hand part of the screen, you've got uh, a little four-legged animal uh, with a long tail there. That mm. is a mink. So this one camera... This captured. is all from one camera. It was all yes. from one camera. Over in, the course of it looks like less than a week. Yeah, from in, the one, in yeah. one go, this camera caught all of these things. And That's it's awesome. amazing. I mean, A, this well, gives but, me... I mean, to be, to be fair, though, you've, you know, you've got decades training honing a naturalist's eye, not just as a field biologist, but also as a photographer. And so you put it in the right place. I right, did. like you could have put it somewhere where it wouldn't have caught anything. I did. Obviously. And indeed, I've got one uh, deployed right now that caught absolutely nothing mm, okay. um, so that's a thing that happens and you know uh anyway it's a fun game if you want a game that you know is is very real mm -hmm. figuring out how to get the wildlife to show up on your game camera is um is a pretty good one and so i guess uh yeah you want to show the video this is from our backyard yeah. this is a coyote they unfortunately in portland uh hunt house cats quite actively and this is literally, oh, probably 40 feet from our back deck. Beautiful animal. Um, so that's actually from last two years ago. Yeah, that yeah. is from two years ago. Just a very high quality video. So it does prove that you can get really good quality uh, video and pictures off out of these things if you place them carefully. And uh, um, anyway, yeah. so that's uh, cool stuff. So and yeah. You've been getting some... Um We've got, unfortunately, three coyotes right here 
over the last several days. Uh, and you've oh, yeah. Pictures of. We have been, yeah, and yeah. I will show some pictures at some point. Indeed, actually, last week people remember I was looking at an animal out the window that I said was very dark. I now know from multiple kinds of evidence that it had to be a coyote, and my sense that it was very dark was off. Everything else adds up. Maddie went to the spot and immediately picked it out and started looking around for mm -hmm. something. And now I've camera trapped around the area. The coyotes come right through there. And so that's what I saw yeah. out the window. And for those of you who might be concerned, are, if you hear yowling, uh, it's because our cats are pissed because they're not allowed outside while there's this many coyotes right here who are clearly waiting for them. Yeah. They're waiting for snacks. Um, but anyway, think about whether, I mean, you can get these pretty cheap, you know, for a hundred bucks, you can, you can get one that does the basics and then, you know, you can go up from there. Um, I would you got just, any in particular that you recommend? Cause you've now got a few different types. Yeah, I would say I don't, I wouldn't worry too much about no glow versus low glow. I mm -hmm. think low glow is just fine. Doesn't spook the animals at all. Um, but don't go flash. Yeah. Don't go with the visible yeah. flash. Um, I would say. I like the Bushnell cameras. Get one that has a screen so you can see what the camera is going to shoot rather than being surprised when you pick up your SD card. Yeah. Um, and it's also really useful if they have a, a visible LED and a setting to test where the trigger Battery zone life? is. Oh. So basically you can set it to test and then you can walk out where you expect an animal to be if you're on a a deer trail or something like that. And you can just make sure that if you walk there, you see the LED go off, then you know it triggers. Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, yeah, I like the Bushnell ones are pretty good. And I would say you can go to Trail Cam Pro, the website, and they have very good reviews on things. And you can see, you know, they have all kinds of stuff that you can bolt things to trees and um, they all come with a strap for a reasonably small tree. You can... Uh, just strap them onto the the tree. Uh, it's easier to aim them if you have something with a little bit of a you know tripod head versatility like that. Mm -hmm. But anyway, it's a fun game, and uh, I'd be curious what you come up with if you if you do manage to to capture something. Beautiful, beautiful. Okay, our fifth of eight pro bono ads is for Comcast. Comcast, as many of you will know, is the largest home internet and cable TV provider in the United States, uh, and it's the second largest broadcasting and cable TV company in the world after AT&T. So at least for our listeners and viewers in the U.S. and many outside of the U.S. as well, you're going to be pretty familiar with it. Um, so what can we say that hasn't been said already? Well, Comcast has the most amazing name recognition, really. That's, that's the best I can do, really. It's hard to avoid. If you can say one positive thing about Comcast, it is that it is ubiquitous. It's everywhere. Uh, in fact, it's really hard to opt out. If you want internet or cable TV, especially if you live in some places, uh, you just, you're stuck with, with Comcast. They have, in fact, this little thing uh, approaching what we like to call a monopoly in many places. Um, that, of course, makes them less than enthusiastic about customer service than they might otherwise be. Why give a fuck about your customers if you have them over a barrel, after all? Also, now that Comcast actually owns some content, they, did you know that they have bought NBC Universal? So that's part of the Comcast family now. Wrong. And then they're also, of course, in charge of content, um, content distribution in the form of ISPs. Well, there seems to possibly be an antitrust issue there as well. Um, and there's also the little problem of their position on net neutrality, um, their resistance to any but the narrowest form of it, and uh, some evidence that they have uh, acted really not in any way on behalf of the consumers. Um, so all of which leaves 
customers of Comcast often feeling underwhelmed at best by their service. Um, but we have a code to help you um, with uh, with your experience at Comcast so that you might be able to get something truly special. Use code BENDOVER at checkout and receive a customer service experience that you are unlikely to ever forget. <laughs> so uh, I will say um, Comcast uh, may be the actual root of all evil and yeah. it may just sort of function through advertising or something. But um, we had the most spectacular run of – it wasn't even bad luck. It was just – Comcast. There was no luck involved. It was Comcast. It was Comcast. So mm -hmm. what we had was a situation in our in our previous house where for years we could not get a stable internet connection through Comcast, and there was no alternative, right? And those two things are undoubtedly connected. Um, so this went on year after year. They must have come out eight times a year, always claimed to have solved it. It never worked. Mm -hmm. I replaced every modem and router multiple times to make sure it wasn't something on our end. It just wasn't cheap. simply did nope. not work. And then the crazy thing is we moved here. There was no option for anything other than Comcast. So we signed up for it and we thought maybe it's at least just our old zip code or something. The problem followed us here. And indeed, people who uh, remember our early live streams will remember how unstable they were. Well, that- It wasn't just us. <laughs> that lifted at the point that CenturyLink introduced fiber optic and we finally had the ability to get rid of Comcast and we got rid of them completely. We don't get our television content through them. How much did you enjoy the phone conversation that you had with Comcast where you cut the ties? It was so awesome. I totally, if you find that you're in an abusive relationship with Comcast, <laughs> what you need to do is just walk away. You will feel so much better when Comcast Walking taller. is out of your life. Right. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's, um, it's incredible what a terrible corporation it is and what a low quality product it delivers at such a high price. Yeah, no, right. it's it's all of those things. Terrible corporation, awful product, high price. Yeah. What could be better? Get yourself some book darts, some boots, and a trail <laughs> camera instead. You'll be happy you did. Indeed. Okay. Next ad, you have called WTAFC. <laughs> <laughs> right. This is my acronym uh, for what the actual fuck, Costco. Um, now, mind you, I don't hate Costco. Nope. I don't. Love shopping there, but the fact is, I think there's a lot to recommend the place. Mm -hmm. They do seem to source some pretty high quality stuff. The prices are good. We have too much choice in general, so sacrificing a bit of choice in order mm -hmm. to get a really good price. They apparently treat their employees well. They treat their employees well. So it's mm -hmm. not a general complaint about Costco at all. Yep. On the other hand, I had this experience <laughs> and I can't quite get over it. So I bought a shaver. Now, the reason I bought the shaver was that my last shaver, which was actually okay, was a Phillips shaver that had one defect that was an absolute de <laughs> deal killer. The defect was that they had the button was a big lever on the front of the thing, and there was no way to pack it into any item, any luggage. There was nothing you could do to prevent it from turning on in the luggage. Anytime you checked your bag at the point your bag came off of the plane into the rotating carousel, whatever, it's been so long since we've flown, I don't remember, um, your bag would be humming. Yeah, it was crazy. <laughs> it even happened once in the overhead compartment. I think the turbulence set the thing 
thing up. So anyway, I needed a new shaver. And so I looked at this one and it had all sorts of cool stuff, some of which I didn't exactly need, but okay. You know, um, I'm not planning to do a lot of manscaping, you know, I mean, it's just, but wait, and did you see an advertisement for this in one of the many men's magazines you read? Ah, no, I didn't see it in any of the men's magazines I don't read, (laughs) which is all of them. Yes. Um, But here's the thing. Okay. So I got it home and I was uh, Mm -hmm. pretty excited to open it up Mm -hmm. and out popped this, (laughs) the box for the actual product. It's only this big. Mm. Now... What the actual fuck causes you to disguise this in this? Because this may strike Check you it. as... Like, that's insane. Right. Right. For those listening, that's close to two-thirds of the box that has nothing in it. Yeah, it has nothing in it, and it's actually made of stuff, right? Now, I live on this planet. My children live on this planet. I don't want to see it liquidated any faster than necessary, right? And I'm forced to ask all kinds of questions. Did they ship it like this from China? Or did they erect this box here? It just doesn't make any sense. And it's not like this is particularly stealable. I don't think that's it. I think it's one of these considerations like... Bigger well, is better. Yeah, I'm going to spend more. It feels like there's more stuff in there. Or it takes up more real estate on the thing mm. and catches your attention. I don't know what the hell explains it. But please fucking stop. The extra packaging is killing us. And I, if I can just extend this to other places like... Apple, right? Okay, this gorgeous packaging that everything comes in, the stuff that's too good to throw away, so you fill your attic with boxes. Oh, what if I sell the machine? I need the box. You know, I mean, come on. The fact is we have an environmental problem. Right. We don't need that. And just as we should penalize advertisers who advertise at us without informing us, they're manipulating us, we should penalize them. We should penalize entities that sell us more packaging than is necessary. I don't want the stuff packaged in such a flimsy way that it's broken when I get it. That's also bad for the planet. But for God's sake, can you just make it simple, right? Simple packaging, recyclable packaging. That's what we want. Excellent. Right. Rant over. No, it's excellent. Okay, two more ads in this uh, in this pro bono ad edition of Darkers. And incidentally, we didn't say that we are going to... Um, as, as we are beginning to advertise actual things for which we are being paid, we are going to continue to do these pro bono ads for things that we that we find that we feel like. And I should say, we about. didn't do this one thing, but um, people are free to send us products that they want us to advertise. If you send us something really bad, we may do a pro bono ad about the bad product. So be warned. <laughs> only send us stuff you believe in. <laughs> Excellent. Um Okay, so this next one is um, is a mishmash. It's basically um, an advertisement for artisans, artisans of all sorts, artisans and, and craftsmen. And um, you know, we have received some amazing gifts. We you know, I we are both to some degree artisans and, and craftspeople ourselves, um, but we have also received some remarkable things since we have been doing Dark Horse and, and before, and I just wanted to highlight a few of those things um, and encourage everyone, if you have any interest, whether or not you think you have any ability, um, to to find a craft, find something over in arts or craft space that you can, you can start to do. Um, so one is um this uh this 
ceramicist, Matthew Kelly. So Zach, you can show my screen here. Um, this is his site. Um, he makes beautiful things. He does um, among he does several different kinds of um, firings. And this, if I forgot to look it up, this mug that I'm holding is from his salt kiln um, that I think he built. Um, truly, truly gorgeous work. Uh, we also have um, we were sent. So Zach, you can take take that down now. Um, I, I forgot to look into it, but um, this beautiful little leather case with these leather dark horse coasters, totally gorgeous. Love the coasters. Love the coasters. We use them all the time. You probably, because of the way our our um, our cameras are aimed at the moment, you can't see that our stuff is sitting on these coasters. Um, this I thought is, they were going to stain. They don't stain. They don't stain. And yeah. actually, um, the guy, I'm sorry, I, I didn't look back at um, the the guy who sent them to us said, I don't know if they'll work as coasters. I just work in leather and I thought I'd make these for you. They but they're work wonderful. Um, this incidentally, these glasses that you sometimes see us drinking from are not um, a gift to us because of what we do here. These are things we found at the farmer's market in Ashland, Oregon, a couple of years ago, um, made, you know, bought from uh, the glass worker who actually um, made them. Zach, do you want to show the, oh, I didn't, um, the picture that I sent you of the horse, and I'm going to quickly look on my phone to see if I got, um, I'm not positive who the artist is, and I'm really sorry about that, but when we find out, we'll put it in the show notes. Um, these people sent us this gorgeous piece of art, it's woodburned, um, and they have their names on the back of it, but we hung it on a wall and it didn't easily come off the wall. So um, that's why I'm not using their names here. Um, we have next item. Um, this, Zachary. Um, giant herbs and tea here in Portland, Oregon. Uh, the guy behind this is an herbalist and, um, and also now tea maker who, um, who has, is doing a tremendous amount with sort of traditional medicine and tinctures and stuff. And he sent us a box of, um, chais and tinctures, and we have enjoyed all of them that we've tried so far, but I just wanted to highlight two of he them. He is an herbalist and tea wizard. I can tell you from having drunk these teas, they're really great. They're amazing. So here we have, I kid you not, dark horse, horse, H-O-A-R-S-E, chai, um, onto which he's written, this logical blend will make you want to analyze its components. Why does this taste so good? And on the back, a unity of flavors without any hint of evergreen. Perfect during a long day of voice work. Sit back and grok this chai while discussing a heterodox opinion or reminding people where you really stand. This chai is an olfactory wake-up call. So that's awesome. Um, and a little bit disappointingly, maybe maybe my favorite one, he sent us like 12 or 14 of these, but maybe my favorite chai of his that I've had so far is Antifa chai. <laughs> it's Antifa chai. Um, and on it, he's written, there are no leaders here, but its flavor shows up and burns on the way down. Um, a dash of horseradish to make the eyes water, chipotle and paprika to warm you up, an accent of guarana to keep the mind alert, a great drink to get you amped before your soccer match. <clears throat> so... These are great. I, you know, I recommend all of all of his all of his work. And then um, just one more artisan. I mean, all artisans everywhere. Um, but our friend um, Dave Stevens, who many have remarked on the knife um, on in the back corner in the sink, um, is a metalsmith, and he made he made me a machine. 
swordsmith. He, he's a swordsmith, and he made me this machete. So I also, in addition to Eagle boots, depending on where I am, will also sometimes carry a machete uh, when I'm in the field. Usually not, you know, not at Tipitini. It's not necessary, but I have been in places where I needed it both for vines and uh, for protection. Um, not against snakes, but against well, drug runners, actually. <laughs> um, that's another story. Uh, but this is gorgeous. You, this is hold so, up so they can see the pattern gorgeous. Welding. Yeah. Oh, no, now I'm in a different camera. Here you go. Um, so I'm sure Dave's watching. He's like, show it a different way. What are you doing, Heather? Um, anyway, this is gorgeous. And he also made for you. No, no, this is a, this is a historical sword from his shop. Oh, okay. Uh, I want to remove it without cutting myself. Yeah, indeed. All right, here. Throw that suet into the air and I will slice <laughs> it into a... Yeah. Um, yeah, so, you know, here's the thing. This um, is historical, you just, This is historical from... Uh, this is, I think, his first real oh, okay. sword. It comes yeah. with a story, which I will not butcher by attempting to tell it here. Um, but anyway... Just because some watery tart threw a sword at you is no basis for a system of government. <laughs> However, a sword like this is one you can be truly, truly proud of. Um, and it does have some basis in history. Uh, but uh, anyway, maybe I will um, solicit a copy of the story and post it for people. Beautiful. You know, in, in objection to Monty Python, which I rarely do, I feel like Arthur and Camelot were actually a pretty damn good system while it lasted. <laughs> Yeah, it it, it uh, definitely had its advantages. Yeah, um, yeah. So don't slice off. Yeah, anything I'm put important. This aside, and I'm also not gonna <laughs> trip on it after the podcast. Yeah, when please, I walk over there, please don't. All right. So artisans of all sorts, including all of these, all of these people, and 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 many more. Um, okay, last free ad. All right, last free ad. This is a this is a weird one. So you know, buckle up. Um, so here's the thing. Okay. Really good tools are important, and sometimes really good tools can get lost in the shuffle. Now, I'm glad this tool is still available. When I first encountered it, I wasn't exactly sure what its point was, and it didn't really explain itself on the packaging. You had to play with it visible. to, you have to, show to it. figure out what it is. So what this is, is a, like you're obscuring the vice grip part. a crescent wrench with vice grip action, right? Now, here's the thing. A crescent wrench that is adjustable is a useful thing because you can set it to whatever size nut you need to put the thing on, but it has a defect built into it, which is that when you put it onto something with flats like this, it has slack in it. And so it tends to mar the nut and it doesn't hold on very much. It can slip off. And so the thing about this is by adding the vice grip action, this isn't the vice grip at all. What it does is it holds the nut with no slack, and it's reversible. You just hit that little lever, and it pops off. And so the thing is, if you have used a tool like an adjustable crescent wrench a million times, you know this defect, and you don't realize that the solution looks like this and that it works as well as it does. In fact, I have two of these. Sometimes you have two things, and you're, they're pointed in two different directions. This also, you know, it holds on. Right? Um, so there are lots of places where you want that uh, ability to clamp. And anyway, if you need one of these, I would get them. They're cheap and they're well worth having in your shop. 
And um, like with normal crescent wrenches, they come in different sizes. And I will say, just watching you handle it, um, the smaller one is better suited to my hands. I don't, I'm not particularly small. I don't have particularly small hands, but they, but there is actually a smaller size of this vice grip action crescent wrench um, that isn't useful for everything that the larger one is. But um, it it fits uh, it fits other bodies. Well. Yeah. Well, um, I'm not sure the small one still exists in the market. Oh, that's too bad. I think this one might be the only one available. There is another tool that we have two different sizes of, which is uh, very useful in that way. But the thing about this is this problem has been addressed many, many times, and almost all of the solutions are bad, mm -hmm. right? So there are lots of different adjustable crescent wrenches. There's one with a slide here that's particularly terrible. Um, Right, none of them mm -hmm. really work, but this one just happens to cut the Gordian knot by using vice grip action for something that you know this doesn't work as a vice grip, right? It's it's yeah. not its purpose. But uh, anyway, it's it's cool that it was solved, and I'm always disturbed that people don't know about it because hanging there at the hardware store, it doesn't immediately leap to mind what problem it's solving, mm -hmm. right? It's not obvious what it's for. So anyway, think about whether you need a couple of those. <laughs> So, um, in conclusion, we are today advocating for, depending on who you are, the use of book darts, extant dinosaur stores, eagle boots, trail cameras, uh, artisans of all sorts, and uh, adjustable crescent wrenches with vice grip locking, and we ask you to be very cautious when engaging Comcast <laughs> and the packaging associated with Costco. Otherwise known as what the actual fuck Costco. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, are, are we, oh, did we have a thumbnail for this week? We probably don't yet. Um, we haven't figured it out. Could be the, uh, the hummingbird picture. I don't know. Extant dinosaur. Extant dinosaur, indeed. All right. So um, are we there? We're going to do our announcements and. Uh, I think we're there. All right. So we will, as usual, take a 15 minute break and then be back with a live Q&A answering questions that you have posed during the super chat. Uh, a reminder, as I said at the top of the hour, this Monday at 5 p.m. Pacific, we're going to have a patron only test of our new super chat system. Uh, in which we will be, I think, looking at the live chat and answering questions that we decide in advance if we're going to give you bad answers to good questions or good answers to bad questions mm. or some combination, which should be fun, just very brief. Um, if you have other, um, if, if you're not interested in that, you may be interested in the uh, once a month private Q&A at my Patreon. Um, join, join us there at my Heather Hyang's Patreon or Brett's Patreon. Um, where he has two long conversations every month, um, usually the first Saturday and Sunday of the month. This month, um, not so much because it's Easter, but because it's our younger son Toby's birthday. Uh, we have delayed tomorrow's for a week. All right, so, so if you are part of that conversation, it will be delayed a week. We will do it next Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, and as usual, any questions, uh, you can direct to darkhorse.moderator at gmail.com. We've got some some stuff for sale at www.store.darkhorsepodcast.org, and uh, our clips channel continues to put out uh, good good clips. Yeah, really, really spread nice. the word. Counteract YouTube's desire to uh, disappear us. Spread the word, like the video, uh, and we will see you next week. All right, be well, everyone. <laughs>